Uber movement provides anonymized data from over like two billions of Uber trips to help urban planning and city planners around the world to better understand the traffic patterns of their city. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. Enjoy the episode. Shan is combining the arts of science. She is the founding member of Uber's data visualization team that nurtures spun-off open source tools for designers to explore generative map visualizations, but also work closely with cities to use the data in urban planning. Super fascinating in the way she frames the design process, but also her background from generative design in architecture to generative design in the digital space at MIT, while combining these with a strong interest in science. A perfect fit for design drives, Shan does design that drives transparency and decision making, but also enables awareness for people and makes complex issues understandable for everyone by creating stunning visualizations. Hey Shen, welcome to the podcast. Hi Sebastian. Yeah, super happy to have you in the podcast. So actually we both spoke at a conference last year in Munich called Push Conference. Uh, we didn't manage to meet, but I had the chance to see your talk and uh, directly saw a link between what we are doing at Isandras and your work essentially. So uh, what I think would be very interesting to hear from you and also for the audience would be your way Uh, getting into design, your background, you know, have a quite interdisciplinary background, which basically enables you and empowers you to do quite unique work and mm -hmm. projects. See, I did my bunch of architecture in China and then actually did my master of architecture in the US. And as I was studying architecture, um, I got very interested into this sort of design practice called parametric design. And for those of you that are familiar mm -hmm. with this project, it's it's basically how um, architect can use software to write algorithms that generate um uh, generate design uh, generate three D models. So like that's a simple uh, dis uh, description. Mm -hmm. And then I was very interested in you know just writing couple of line of code to you know manipulate the shape shape of my architectural design or the building space interesting and then i find that whole process very interesting and then that's i that's kind of got me interested in you know learning programming learning uh to write code and you know uh, kind of that's a natural introduction to computation mm -hmm. that, that's that's fascinating coming from generative design and, and architecture which which um, programs mm -hmm. were sort of the same programs than you use now in design or completely different ones in architecture uh in architecture you use uh there are a couple of ways a couple of softwares the most i think the most common one is a grasshopper with rhino mm -hmm. uh, grasshopper is a visual programming language that allow architects to Uh, tweak different parametrics and then generate shapes. And there's other ones that I was using at the time. There were Katia, uh, Katia, C-A-T-I-A, and digital processing. Mm -hmm. uh, both of the pro uh, software are for BIMs, uh, building information modeling. So you use those software to embed uh, information like the, the weight or the length. Uh, any kind of metadata into your 3D models and you were able to use that software to generate your final architectural drawing. 
Mm-hmm. And is it so, uh, the, the software used at the moment uh, or used at MIT uh, afterwards to, um, you know, working that out in design and computation? Were the same um, software you were using or different ones? Uh, there were different ones. So at MIT, uh, when I was studying design, com- so the ones I just described was the one that I was using uh at uh, when I was doing my master in architecture, mm-hmm, yeah, and and then uh, I started the design computation program at MIT. Uh, while I was at MIT, I actually shifted my focus a little bit. Uh, instead of just doing parametric or generative design, I shifted a little bit into urban informatics. So um, I was actually writing mm-hmm. JavaScript. I was building uh, front-end applications to. Uh, better visualize data in urban st- for urban studies. Um, so that's that's a, mm-hmm. that's kind of an, another transition when I was at MIT. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that was your your focus during MIT, combining basically your knowledge. Yes. Mm-hmm. Would you call yourself um, a designer then? Uh, I. What s- you do at the moment because it's so linked <laughs> to so many disciplines, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I will say there are many different words for what I do. There are uh, like creative technologist mm-hmm, is yeah. one of the words, or um, data artist mm-hmm. is something I like to call myself. So basically something that combines both technology and design. Uh, I think that's the better description of my role. Mm-hmm. And then after school, you you joined Uber straight from school, I think, correctly? Yes. So um, as I was at MIT, I, uh, on the side of doing my design computation degree, I started being a researcher at uh, the Sensible City Lab. So the Sensible City Lab is a lab that um, that doing a lot of uh, urban informatics studies, uh, urban visualizations, uh, smart cities, uh, learning how to use data to better help city planners and techno- uh, urban, urban study uh, urban designers to understanding how cities works. So I was a data visualization researcher at the lab for about a year or two. And then after I graduated from MIT, I started uh, at Uber being uh, the data visualization engineer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And uh, what was your motivation joining joining Uber? Uh, at that time, so I I think it was about four years ago. That's when I graduated MIT. I went to career fair. Um, I knew what I want to do is really something uh, about visualizing data, help people, help um, companies better understand their data and then shape their products. So I kind of have this drive to look for companies that has a lot of data and don't know how to do with it at that moment. Uh, Uber four years ago was a, still a pretty young uh, startup at the time. And then I happened to met the head of data science from Uber. And I had a great conversation with him. He was showing me this huge dashboard at that time that they're uh, they're trying to visualize like cars on the road, and then it's it's immediately reflected to what I was doing at MIT, the Sensible City Lab. So it 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 kind of become a natural fit, and then we both feel like you know Uber for me Uber is a great uh, company that has uh, great potential to use my visual data visualization skills. Uh, for the for Uber or the head of data science um, uh, man, manager, mm-hmm. he felt like he can use my skill set to help his 
his engineers and his data scientists to better understanding and visualize their data. So that's that's the beginning of mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, and during the conference, you were also saying you were basically the founding member or one of the first members um, of that data visualization team, correctly? <laughs> yes, I will. I like to say that I was the data visualization team four yeah. years ago because I was the very first hair or very first person that started to doing data visualization at Uber when I first joined. And um, it's an interesting journey because, you know, when you first join a company saying that you are a data visualization person, uh, they don't exactly understand what mm -hmm. you do. Um, well, I remember when I first interviewed uh, at Uber, the official on-site interview where you go to meet the team, uh, they have like the whole panel was uh, was made up of an engineer on their on their uh, on their product, uh, a data scientist from the data science team, and then a designer from their design organization. So they kind of thinking think of me as someone who touches all three different domains. So they have to have a like all three different completely different functional people to interview me. But it was a actually a really fun interview. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how close do you work with the design team? Um, right now, what I've been focusing on at Uber is that um, I mainly build internal uh, data visualization platforms. Mm -hmm. So I, I build uh, dashboards or uh, web-based applications to help data scientists or engineers better understand uh, what you know, the data that can help them understand the business practice. So if in that sense, I work with designers mainly, um, you know, what will be the user experience of this dashboard, for example, mm -hmm. what will be the UX, what do we show them first, and how do they drill down of the visuals we show them and then getting more information out of, the, out of it. And um, that's one part of, uh, one part of the, the design process. Another part is I also work with uh, more UI or graphic designers. Uh, once I have my um, kind of prototype of visualization uh, built out, I sit down with a graphic designer who help me better, you know, tweak the colors to be more pixel perfect, or help me, you know, get uh, to help me get the UI more uh, intuitive, more like nicer looking, and then there bit of a bit of back and forth of like, for example, when I was doing my uh, map, uh, I did I did like a visualization of, of uh, different cities um, around the world. And um, I have a designer that sit with me saying, oh, can you change the color to be a little green because you know it's not very readable. And I will change something in my code and then he will look at it saying, okay, that's good. Or he will say, actually make it a little bit more purple. So this kind of back and forth happens a lot when I work uh, when I work closely with the designers. Mm -hmm. So you mostly use kind of internal designers to you know get feedback on and iterate on the the final solution, but it's mostly for internal purposes, right? Um. Uh. Yes. For mostly for internal. Yeah. For internal purpose. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So maybe what is also interesting? Can you tell a little bit about the the process when designing these maps? Do we have um, always a clear strategy from the the beginning? Um. Yeah, so for database design, the very first step is always about, okay, what data do you have, right? You have to understand, uh, you know, what data you do have currently on hand. And then giving the, all the data input, um, you frame the question or frame the hypothesis 
what type of uh, what type of answer you want your viewer to get from the visual that you designed. Mm -hmm. And the third step is that once you have the hypothesis or you have your question that you want to answer with your visuals, you uh, go on to doing sketch. It uh, depends on what you're most comfortable with. You can do sketch by hand or you use Illustrator or uh, the actual sketch software. You do some mockups and usually it's about, okay, uh, what color should I use, what the background should be. And then the third step, which is the most important step, is building prototypes. Because every good data visualization has to be built with real data. And no matter how hard you draw or how how you draw by hand or how hard you like in, in the in the sketching process, you think it will look like this. Uh, eventually uh, you all the all the re visual results is uh, are driven by the data you put into your code. So the whole like testing with real data, see if it works or not, it's it's a very long process. And then there are many different, uh, sometimes like it's, I call mm -hmm. it like testing to arrows. You will try many different iterations to get the final results that you like. Yeah, so those are the main process. Hmm, yeah, that's interesting. So you sketch it out before you actually go into the data prototyping, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I always do that. Um, sometimes I found that very, um, very liberating because uh, you know i i like to sketch a lot i like to draw a lot and then i like to imagine what my vids will look like beforehand like mm -hmm. i would do a lot of you know mm -hmm. metaphors oh this visual is looking like the, the, this vis visualization design well i want it to look like a tree you know how if the tree is branching out based on uh, for mm -hmm. example if i'm doing a visualization of the ancestry of uh um, of your DNA, I was I was want to design something looking mm -hmm. like a tree that how you know it branch out into different different genetic groups, and that kind of that kind of just pure imagination it, it's a really fun practice. Yeah, it's actually the most artistic part of the the process, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you heard of uh, a data artist called Georgia Lopi. So basically, her whole work it's about sketching out data visualization. She doesn't write any code. She doesn't use any software. She mm -hmm. actually actually already published two books uh, about data sketching. It's a it's a very great book that I recommend people to take a look. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you say you're structured that way with a clear question from the very beginning. I was actually wondering if there's also some kind of experimentation with the data, which actually might lead to uh, new insights and maybe different questions. Um, so the question is always the doesn't change. Like, um, for example, when I got uh, when I was do, trying to do some visualization for Uber Pool, I, I know my high level question I'm trying to show is how you know using my visualization people can understand how Uber Pool uh, traffic looks different than normal. You know, people if it, people don't do Uber Pool traffic. So I know that's the, the general question or general framing of my visuals, but exactly how to achieve that is uh, it's done by sketching and building prototypes, building mockups, writing actual code to, to visualize real data and that whole like uh, cycle. Yeah, okay. So when you say you have a clear question and framing and you sketch it out, then you put the data in, but then maybe you realize you need additional data or a different input to generate the answer or a different perspective. Is that something that also occurs in the process? Oh, yeah. So that happens a lot, actually. So 
more a lot of times you ask your you know you know a lot of times your answers cannot be answered just by sketching you have to build it with real data and then you realize actually uh, I want I need more of this data you know uh, giving you an example mm -hmm. the same Uber pool example the first time when I I only have like okay traffic data of all the Uber pool trips for a day that's my initial data input and then as I was designing, sketching out, or like building prototype, I realized that I also, I also need data of, you know, the road networks of San Francisco, because I need to map my trips to a road network and using that network to, to calculate traffic. So then I go on to mm -hmm. collecting the SF open data website, I find the actual road geometries of the entire city. And then I did some processing about uh, projecting the, the trips, uh, Uber pool trips onto row segments and then calculate traffic. Mm -hmm. How long does is a typical design process of a, of a map? Um, <laughs> of one question you want to answer? It depends on how lucky you are. <laughs> but uh, usually um, it takes from like a couple of hours to a couple of weeks. Um, because the reason there are, it's very um, hard to predict is because you never know what you might find or you, uh, until you write a program, you pull, you plug in the real data and you see some results. There's uh, many times that you realize whatever, however you sketched, however your great imagination tells you this visual should look like, um, your final result will look completely different than your imagination. Then you have to go back to do the sketch again, giving now you have more understanding what is actually in the data. You have to go back to maybe change your initial design sketches or maybe do something completely different. So that whole process will take many different iterations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, when become really clear that there's just nothing in the data you're looking for um at that time you, at that moment you might just um you kind of have to admit that you know the initial questions is will not be answered by whatever data you have at hand um it happens actually sometimes for um for data visualization <laughs> specialists it's it's just unfortunate yeah um, can you tell a little bit about the, the stakeholders in the projects like many people you work for, and you already mentioned in the, the on the conference, you work a lot with you know, cities, and these are maybe some of the kind of stakeholders you work with. The visualization team is like forty people, and we have many different projects. <laughs> so, um, in general, we have um, stakeholders like data scientists. Data scientists need tools that we build to help them better uh, testing their models and and uh, understanding patterns. We're also working with uh, our city operations teams where, you know, we build tools for uh, city operations to better understanding the local markets. Um, we also have a new initiative where we work with actual city planners and city government of uh, government transportation agencies where we uh, build visualization platforms to share our Uber tra traffic data to help them uh, use those traffic data to better design city road network, for example. 
So yeah, those are some of the stakeholders we work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is super fascinating, this empowerment of decision-making, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, for, for example, cities uh, or people who design uh, landscapes and um, areas. But yeah, so right now uh, we have, Uber has a couple of initiatives. Uh, the most, uh, the most big, uh, the biggest one, the, the regularization team currently working on is called the Movement. Mm -hmm. So Uber, uh, Uber movement uh, provides anonymized data from over like two billions of Uber, Uber trips to help urban planning and city planners around the world to better understand the, the traffic patterns of their cities. Um, the, the reasoning being that we want to use uh, Uber trip data to better empower city planners and, and transportation agencies to understand how uh, how their road network works, how their infrastructure works, and then better use those data to improve their city transportation networks. Mm -hmm. um, did you found any principles mm -hmm. there or design principles that work really good for you in the process that maybe helped you over the last years to maybe become even faster or get quicker to the, answering the question? Maybe also design principles in terms of visualization. Yeah, so there are a couple of things that there are a uh, couple of tricks that every data visualization specialist like to play. <laughs> uh, one of them being doing <laughs> animations, right? Um, you will be surprised how much, how much more people will be interested in your visualization if you make things move uh, on their screen. Um, I really like to use animations, especially to show transition changes uh, from time to time, like how things progress throughout the certain time periods. I really like to use, um, make things move around the screen so that people can visually understand there are changes or that, what the differences are. And um, some other techniques is like using, uh, building more interactive, visualization versus just like a, uh, you know, just like a video or, or, or a static image. Um, I like to give people power to click around to explore more. Um, uh, definitely not overbearing, uh, overburden mm -hmm. them with a million different kind of customizations or the buttons that they can click, but just like a simple, maybe like a sliding through time. So like giving them more um, freedom to actually interact with the visualization will help people be more engaged into the message you want you want to communicate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think by now, I think everyone of the audience, I think, is really excited to to see actually the work you do, like I saw on the the conference. So we put a, a link on the description, maybe of your conference talk you did or some of the visualizations you did, who are uh, publicly available. Can you speak a little bit about maybe what was the the biggest impact you think you might had that is maybe some of the the visualizations that are publicly visible? Yeah, one of the actually uh, one of the visualization I did, I keep talking about is uh, Uber pool visualization, mm -hmm. um, where um, uh, at that time our Uber CEO was giving a tech talk about uh, how Uber's impact, uh, especially Uber pool's impact on, on cities transportation. And then he was using the visualization I did to showing like a comparison between uh, Uber pool trip versus if people didn't take Uber pool, they all take their own ride. 
how's the traffic gonna look differently? So he was I so that visualization mm-hmm. took me about two weeks, but it works really well to deliver the message, and then uh, ended up he was uh, showing it at his TED talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a really clear and direct message, right? It's 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 really. Uh, easy to understand, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we will also put that uh, that one then in the description, mm-hmm. and maybe you can tell a little bit about the project Kepler.gl uh, about the mission and what mm-hmm. it's all about. Uh-huh. Yeah, so Kepler.gl uh, is a open sourced framework that uh, I've been working on for the past year or two. Uh, it is a tool to visualize large scale geospatial data uh, in the browser. Um, uh, it's very high performance and super easy to use. Uh, it can render a couple hundred thousand or to a million data points in the browser without any difficulties. Um, and then it gives people all the different freedom of customized visualization, like changing colors, changing dimensions, and adding time animations. People have all the freedom of uh, testing different visualization uh, different visualization ideas with the data they have, and then uh, creating visualization that deliver a good message. Um, so remember before I was t- keep talking about how there's uh, many different iterations of testing visuals with real data. Um, which we built Kepler GL just so that you know we make this whole testing uh, or. Uh, try and error process a lot more, um, a lot more easier for people. So you don't have to write different programs, take a couple of days, couple of weeks to uh, play around with the, with their data. They can just do it all in just one tool and quickly testing different visualization ideas and then uh, discover insights from their geospatial data. Mm-hmm. And uh, what kind of data do you upload? So you upload a certain uh, geographic uh, data file or does it uh, then it gets matched uh-huh. with the map you have on Capital GL or like how does it how does it work in terms of files yeah. and upload and yeah so um, when I say geospatial data I know it's like a more foreign concept but imagine your data sets has basically any data sets that has a geolocation associated with the data point mm-hmm. uh, for example you can upload a file contain containing uh, all the all the bus stop locations inside the city, and then Kepler GL will just draw those bus stops as points um, on the base map it provides. Or you can upload uh, a data set containing all the building footprints of, of, of your city, and then Kepler GL will just draw it. Um, or you, you have traffic data that you collected showing how, uh, you know, one uh, the route that people takes from point A to point B, Capologia uh, can also join for you. So any basically any data set with a location embedded into the data points can be visualized with Capologia. Any spatial data, interesting. And then it gets matched with the your own map, and basically the tools kind of uh, take that data, and then you know there are different types of visualization of that. Yeah, this is super super fascinating. So the tool itself have different visualization types you can test it with. Uh, um, example, for example, it has this points allow you to draw points uh, like bus stops or you know uh, where the where the tree where the trees are. Or it has this uh, geometry shape of layer allow you to draw like polygons or or, or lines, and it also have more like uh, heat map 
uh, heat map type of visualization where uh, you just input where your road, the mm -hmm. points are, it will draw a heat map for you, uh, things like that. You also have very interestingly has the 3D layers, like a 3D hexagon layer, where, you know, instead of just looking at maps as a 2D representation, mm -hmm. Uh, we allow it allow you to add like a third dimension, like a elevation or height to your visualization. So you know you can looking at the map as you are looking at a physical physical world. Mm -hmm. Very very interesting. Do you know how the who is the main user? Is it data science or is it actually maybe UI designers who want to you know, create a nice visualization? Mm. Uh, do you know who the the users are? Uh, main users actually is data science and. Uh, city operation, uh, uh, city operations. Um, designers also like to use it if the, they actually have the data they want to visualize. But our yeah. data scientists uh, love to use it because you know they don't want to. They're not like front end developers. They don't want to write their own program to to visualize the data they have. And they all they need to do is just drag and drop a CSV uh, or a JSON file that containing the geospatial data and then use the tool to customize it and then to explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if uh, let's say you're a designer and you don't have any fancy uh, data, can you all, uh, still use it, for example, to create uh, maybe different types of uh, map designs? Is that possible? Let's say pre-made data you can, you, can, you can put in there or like maybe you can do open source. Yeah data right yeah so uh, many city have open data portals then uh, if you find anything interesting uh, different city open data portals download that and drag and drop into capital gl you can just uh, design maps yeah super cool i would try it out <laughs> i think what is really interesting is that you tasted so much different design disciplines or experience in general i mean quite a journey coming from architecture in china I guess it's impossible to foresee these <laughs> things and predict these things back then, but let's say you would look back. Is there any mm. advice you would give your younger self? Um, <laughs> I think if I have any advice for myself earlier, I will be telling me to you know, start learning uh, programming a lot earlier, and really <laughs> learning more math as well. Um, because when you, when you actually, at, at one point I realized you know high school math is not enough for me to to uh, visualizing for example how to calculate three D projections in space mm -hmm. uh, I actually have to go back to my finding the textbook around that understanding exactly how three D projection works how you know matrix calculation works and but you know if I will study math a lot harder when I was in college. I don't have to go back and looking at that again. But um, more often, I was surprised at how much math there is to do with data visualization. And then I wish I could have, you know, getting better at it before, before now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much, Shane, for sharing this. I think this was an incredible share of knowledge for the design community. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.